their own efforts. That's one of the basic characteristics of religion. I don't care what religion it may be, even if it is humanism or if it's Buddhism or Islam, whatever it may be, that is one of the basic characteristics of religion. And that is trying to, trying to find God, please God, uh, reach God somehow. Let me ask you, have you ever had contact with a religious organization? You can go like this or no, this is, either way is fine. I'd be willing to say that almost every one of you here have at one time or another. Have you ever had someone come to your door? Need I mention who they might be? If that's the case, you've had some contact with a religious organization. Someone that will call them a church, if you will. They're usually a group of people or an organization of people, often very nice, not always, but most of the time, very nice. And, and, and they, what they're doing is they're, they're working day after day, or they're attending class after class, or they're going to retreat after retreat, or camp after camp, or sing song after song, or do a chant after chant, whatever the thing may be, for what? To work on God, to work on reaching God, to work on pleasing God, to work on finding God. And they're futile efforts. It's a far cry from authentic Christianity. But nonetheless, it's still there. Folks, these things are just mere substitutes in our day and age. These false, or these, these religions. And, but we're, we're pretty used to substitutes, aren't we? Huh? We have substitute sugars today. We have substitute salt. We have substitute aspirin. We don't actually ever have to take the real thing of anything if we don't want. We have vinyl that looks like leather. And we have glass that looks like diamonds. And we have plastic that looks like glass. I mean, we, it, they're all substitutes for the real thing. It's hard to know the real thing anymore. Have you ever watched Antique Roadshow? Huh? There's a whole bunch of people in there that think, man, I got this diamond vase that's probably worth $40 million, and they take it there, it's worth like 40 bucks because, well, I hate to tell you this, but those aren't real diamonds. Those are just glass. Well, yeah, but my great-great-grandmother gave it to me. Well, they had glass back then, too. <laughs> you know. That's what we do. That's what it looks like. Religion says to, to work hard, gain God's favor, and God will, will tip you by saying, you can now enter into heaven. That's what religion says, which is a lie. The Bible tells us, For not by works of righteousness, which, which I have done, but according to his mercy, he what? He saved us. Listen, religion tries to reach up to God. And as all of you have heard, Christianity is God reaching down to man. And there's a big difference. Religion cringes at that thought of God reaching down to man. It insists that, that we try to be good enough to win God's approval. And folks, before we're too hard on that, there are some folks in Christianity who borderline on that mentality. Religion causes people to work on the outside, but God does what? He works on the inside. That's where it starts. I believe of all the things that keeps people away from the church today, one of the most prominent is religion. Religion does that to us. You see, so many, so many people go through the motions 
So many people go through the activities. So many people participate in the programs. They do, they do good things to people in the community and, and such, and, and good things around the area, and, and they feel better about themselves, and they, and, they, and they think that that's working for them to reach God. They're not serious about the Bible. They're not serious about Jesus Christ. They're serious about the things they are doing, but not serious about the true thing. They have religion, but they don't have Christ. Religion has a dull and a, and a deadening effect on people. It puts structure, if you will, in place of the Savior. It puts check marks. If I do this, 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 and this, certainly I'll be working my way to heaven. Certainly God will be pleased with that. For religion, the most important thing is to fit into the system rather than to turn your life over to a person who can change your life forever. You see, that's the way religion works. Religion doesn't, doesn't, doesn't like to be threatened. Religion doesn't like being talked back to. Religion can even become hostile when we oppose it, or oppose its systems. How many here have been keeping up on Craig and Shelley over in the Cora Valley? They face a group that has religion. Correct? That doing works, good works, is what will get them to heaven. And they're upset when someone else comes in and says otherwise. Says that it is Jesus and by His grace. They know about Jesus. They're a little, little shy on the grace part. And Craig and Shelley are experiencing that right now. Religion has definite parameters in which it works in. And as long as you operate within those parameters, you're going to be accepted into that religion. But when you step out of those parameters, you're going to get your hand slapped. Or even worse, something else could happen to you. Here in Acts chapter 4, I want to look at some tension between people with religion and Christianity. And we're going to compare religion and Christianity just a little in this passage right here. Very familiar passage of Scripture, Acts chapter 4. Just to give you a little background, earlier the religious rulers had scoffed at Christ's claims of his deity and religion got all upset when Jesus said that sin it is what sin is what's blocking your way to, to God. Sin is what's blocking your way to heaven. Sin is what's between you and the Almighty. They didn't like it when Jesus said that. And then when Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, well, religion just blew up. Religion was ready to fight. They were ready to take care of this man. And we see such a fight here in Acts chapter 4 between these religious people or these religious moguls, if you will, and Peter and John and their newest convert, a lame man who was healed. And I'm going to read the whole thing and then we'll come back and look at different passages. So if you'll follow along with me in Acts chapter 4, <clears throat> starting in verse 1. And it says, they're talking about Peter and John. It says, and as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came, about, came to, to about 5,000. On the next day, 
their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem, with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to, you, to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than forty years old. And we're just gonna stop there. Think about this. Since the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, Christianity had been winning the hearts of the people. It was spreading in a very in a very fast way, so to speak. We would consider it fast today. Let's put it that way. Religion thought they had rid themselves of this troublemaker called Jesus. They thought they had taken care of that problem uh, a, a, a few months earlier. Some time earlier, they, they thought that, that it was all done. They wouldn't have to deal with him again. Then a certain miracle took place that caused them to wonder. You see, what had happened was Peter had healed the lame man from birth. Then he gave the glory to God, and then he preached the gospel. And listen to this. He did it right in front of the religious rulers. He did it right in front of those religious leaders. He didn't hide it. He didn't say, shh, don't tell anybody. He did it right in front of them. And think about this. The clash was about to begin between Christianity and religion. I want you to look at, well, let's just look at verse 1 and verse 2 again. There's a, there's a phrase here that I want you to notice. It says, And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, they being Peter and John. And verse 2 it says, The Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed. Have you ever been greatly annoyed? Have you? Have your kids ever greatly annoyed you? No. Not like they're greatly annoyed. They were upset. They were distraught. Some translations tell us that. They were greatly annoyed. And why were they greatly annoyed? Look at, look at the rest of verse 2. Because 
They were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They were greatly annoyed because of what they were saying. Don't tell me this Jesus thing is coming up again. Do you ever notice religion doesn't like some of the things Christians say? They were annoyed because he's talking about this, and then, you know what, he's talking about not only proclaiming Jesus, but he's proclaiming that he's, the, he's proclaiming the resurrection. And man, that just upsets religion. You know, there are certain things religion doesn't like for you to talk about. And certain words that are offensive to them. You know what some of them are? Saved. Try that sometime. Or here's a better one yet. Say, you know, when, when they come knocking on your door, ask them, are you born again? You might have to explain that. Well, there's a good chance you're going to have to explain that. Are you born again? Tell them what that means. They don't like that. Here's, here's, another, here's another word religion doesn't like. Sin. They don't like sin. They don't like righteousness. They don't like justification. They don't like some of those terms that we use in Christianity. And why is that? Because it goes against what they believe. They don't like grace. Because if God's grace is true, then me working my way to heaven is not working out so well. Religion doesn't like that. Where are these people who took the side of religion? Well, the Bible tells us in verse 1, it says that they were priests, they were temple captains, and also among the leaders distributed by Peter's message, or disturbed, I should say, by Peter's message here, were the Sadducees. And they're the, large, they're, the, they're, the, they're the most influential group, these Sadducees. They're the ones that had lots of pull. And, and let me just share with you real briefly who they were. They were the, they were the ruling class of the wealthy, the, the, the wealthy aristocrats of the day. You, you knew when... Uh, when one of those Sadducees were walking down the road or down the, down the path, they were dressed that way. They commanded the respect of people who were walking by them. There weren't many of them. There are not many of them, but they, but they were rich and they had influence in the, in the, in the community. Actually, in the, in the nation of Israel, amongst the Jews. They kept uh, on friendly terms with the Romans. That was one of their main goals. And one of the reasons they did that was so that they could keep their wealth and keep their comfort. We don't know people like that today, do we? They wanted peace at any price. And understand this, the price was high under Roman rule. And they would do anything to keep it. They were the rich people who manipulated the poor people. They were the professional religious class. And don't think less of them. Don't, and, and many times when we talk about Pharisees or Sadducees or these, these uh, priests, we think, well, I would never be part of that. Those guys were just ridiculous. You know, they just, they just, they just, they wouldn't bother me. If you lived in that culture in that day, yes, they would. You would respect them. You would understand them. You would know where they're coming from. That would, be, that would be a part of your life as a Jewish person. They rejected everything that was supernatural. They said there were no angels. 
They didn't believe in demons. They didn't believe in Satan. They said there was no life after death. There was no resurrection. There was no hope. Just the rules that you were told to follow. Isn't that, how uh, I many here have heard that old saying? That's why they were sad, you see. If you hadn't heard that, then you haven't been around very long. That's who the Sadducees were. And so when, when Peter and John were telling people by what power this man was healed, that disturbed them. That upset them. Jesus had already upset them, and now these two were upsetting them. And, and they didn't like that. They didn't like talking about their resurrection. They didn't like talking about Jesus. They didn't like going through this again with someone else. That's the way religion works. You see, religion tells us you have to go by their rules or you don't go. Just that simple. Don't make any waves. Don't bother us. Don't, you know, it's better if you just leave than stay and make waves. And by preaching this, that Jesus rose from the dead, Peter was stirring up those religious waters again. And they didn't want to have any part of it. They didn't want it to happen again. So what did religion do? Look at verse 3. After Peter says this, it says verse 3, and they, or after they realized this, in verse 3 it says, and they arrested them, and they put them in custody until the next day. That's what religion did. They arrested them. You know, you can lock up the messenger but you can't lock up the message. Amen? In the Old Testament, Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, when he was thrown into prison, he said that the word is like a burning fire down in my bones. You can't stop the message. And this is no different. Look at verse 4. Look what happened. In verse 4 it says, But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about what? 5,000 men. 5,000 people became believers. It was too late to stop the message. They may have locked up the messengers, but it was too late to stop the message. Now religion, and now that it's exposed, it's going to get nasty now because they realize that themselves. There are three characteristics that I want to share with you tonight uh, that when religion takes an offensive against Christianity, three characteristics that they always use. When they're threatened, when religion is threatened, Religion always uses intimidation. That's one of the basic characteristics that they use. Look at me in verse 5 and 6. Understand what's happening here. About 5,000 people came to the Lord. They've arrested Peter, John, and the lame man. It says, on the next day, their rulers and elders, scribes, gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. Think about this. When they're threatened, when religion is threatened, they always use intimidation. Religion finds security in numbers. Religion finds security in formalism. It finds security in status. That's what religion does. They have the big cathedrals or buildings or places of worship. Or they have, they have people who, who claim to know most everything that there is to know. Or they have what they call their scholars to interpret things. And it's hard for most of us lay people to say, man, I don't know, that guy knows Hebrew pretty well. I know it's a religion. I know he doesn't know Jesus, but boy, it's hard for me to, to say something to him. We'll talk about that in a second. 
That's what happens. They, they intimidate. They use, they use this to, to intimidate and to manipulate us and other people. That's what religion does. And that's exactly what they did here. Look at me in verse 5. We're going to just, I just want to point it out to you. And he says, on the next day, the rulers. doesn't say the ruler. The rulers and the elders and the scribes. Okay? All that group already is gathering together in Jerusalem. They, they got them all together. They sent them an email and said, we're having a meeting tomorrow, and you all need to be there. We have these guys that we need to talk about. We locked them up, and we're going to have to talk about them tomorrow. And on top of that, they brought in Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, and John and Alexander. They got all those people there to intimidate Paul and John, or Peter and John. There's the second characteristic. Along with intimidation, religion uses tradition. Because look at the rest of part six, verse six. They have Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, uh, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander. Then it says, and all. Underline that. And all who were of the high priestly family. They didn't just get a couple. All we need is a couple. They all who were of the high priestly family. This is tradition. You understand, keep this in mind. These were men who could trace their roots back to the high priests of Israel. They had status in the eyes of the Jews. This assembly here is the, as most of us know, is the famous Sanhedrin. It is the Supreme Court of the Jews, and it has its origin all the way back to the Old Testament. It is a very powerful group of men. It is the, it is the court who wrote the final word on civil and, and religious matters. These guys had authority. Make no mistake. No matter how wrong they may have been and how religious they may have been, they still had the authority and power in their hands. And with that intimidation, they also use tradition. Keep in mind, this is the same court. A few weeks earlier, we had tried Christ, and they said what? Crucify him. Is the same group of men. They considered themselves the keeper of the truth. And Peter and John, picture this in your mind, Peter and John challenged them, and they were unwilling to move. They were unwilling to change. Guess what? Religion didn't think it was very funny. The third characteristic in an offense against Christianity is when religion is suspicious, it uses interrogation. Look at verse 7. After they gathered all these people together, verse 7 says, And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name do you do this? You have to picture this in your mind. Like in a semi-circle, if you will, where the Sanhedrin, all these people would gather around. Not just two or three of them. Seventy people gather around, and they took John and Peter and set them in the midst of them. Now, how would you like to do that? Huh? Some of you may say, yeah, bring it on. Me, I'd be shaking in my boots. Because these people had influence. These people had authority. And remember, they just cried out to crucify who? Jesus. What happened to Jesus? You guys know that, right? He was crucified. Okay? 
And here Peter and John, are, and, they, and they were hoping this would, they were hoping that this interrogation would work. And that these guys would break down and they would say, you know what, you guys are right. We were wrong. We should have just kept our mouths shut. We'll talk to the lame guy and we'll tell him, don't worry about, just, just tell him it was a miracle. But they don't do that, do they? Normally these three characteristics, this intimidation and tradition and interrogation work, normally it does, but not with Peter. Not with Peter. We've talked about Peter before. He's fresh off the denial of Christ. He has preached a couple of very powerful sermons already. He's hot. And, and, and now all of a sudden he's facing the Sanhedrin. And, and how was he able to do this? Do you ever wonder about that? How was he able to be so bold? Look at verse 8. It tells us right here. In verse 8, Then Peter, here's the key, what? Filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. That's how Peter was able to do it. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, Peter recognized that religion had its limitations and that it would always, 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 and this is something we need to remember, religion will always bow to the truth. It will always bow to the truth. They may not like it, but they will. It will always bow to truth. Here's the first limitation. The first limitation is religion lacks the Spirit's filling. It's not filled with God's power. So when you're talking to a religious person, or when you're dealing with religion, understand that. They don't have God's power. They have man's power. They have man's authority. Peter here makes no apologies. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And then look what he, look what he says here in, in verse 9. Look what he says in verse 9. He says, he says rulers and people of the people and elders, if, if, I underlined that in my Bible because I'm thinking, why would he even say that? But if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Think about that. You know... They didn't want to hear that, did they? And most of the religious organizations or people with religion you run into will not want to hear that. Because they have to bow to that truth. And they're not going to want to hear it. The second limitation is religion is blind to Christ's works and it's unmoved by the gospel. Look with me in verse 12. Peter goes on to say, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And, then he goes on, now when they, or the Bible goes on, And now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Religion, you know what, this is what happened. Religion trusts in love and good deeds Salvation comes by their own good deeds in their minds. They're unmoved by Christ's death for, the, for, for, the, for, for their sins. It doesn't move them. Peter's message didn't melt their hearts. Now they did. They, they were impressed with his boldness and impressed with his eloquence, but it didn't move them. It doesn't say anywhere in here, 
And after Peter says all this in, in verses 9, 10, and on down, and says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And the Sadducees and the chief priests and all their families came to know Christ as Savior. doesn't say that, does it? They were unmoved by the gospel. The only thing that moved them is, well, man, these guys, I know they're uneducated. They're pretty bold. That I can see. And they're, they're uneducated. They're common men. And it sounds like they had been with this Jesus, who was also pretty bold. The third limitation is religion is silenced by transformed lives. I want you to look at verse 14. Very key, key passage in this whole story. After they said all that, they recognized that they had been, that Peter and John had been with Jesus. Then verse 14 says, But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. It shut them up. Peter's speech and the presence of the healed man standing there must have caused some very nervous minds. I mean, I can try to put yourself in their shoes. Temporarily, okay? Try, try to just think about that. What would you say? These two guys are making us look really stupid. You know? Everything we believed in our entire lives, these two guys are making them look really bad. And that Jesus guy a few weeks earlier, he was really making them look bad too. That this is, is this going to keep going on? There are going to be others after these two. I mean, we gotta, I mean, we got to think about this. This could put a crimp in our lifestyle. They, couldn't, they, 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 could argue, they, they could argue theory. They were great at that. They could debate the law. They were, they were wonderful at that. But they couldn't refute the facts. He was standing, this layman was standing right there in front of them. So they said nothing. That's what this says here in verse 14. They had nothing to say in opposition. They were limited. They couldn't, there's nothing they could do. They couldn't admit Peter was right, right? That, that, that would mean that they crucified the Son of God. What about all the evidence? They couldn't do that. Look at verse 15. This is what they do. This is what this group comes up with. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them. Here's an idea. Let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. That's what we'll do. We can't deny the facts of this man standing right there. And, and these guys evidently are uneducated common men, but something has changed their life. People have, have turned their lives around. They're not trusting us anymore. 5,000 of them have come to know this Jesus. And, and what are we going to do? I'll tell you what. The only best thing I can think of is, is that's just scold them and tell them they need to stop talking like that. They need to stop sharing the gospel. They need to stop talking about this Jesus. And so they give them a warning. And they sent them on their way. But they were powerless to quiet them. Look at verse 18. And so they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, 
whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. Think about this. This is amazing, isn't it? Didn't it end? Didn't this end amazingly? Yeah, for even religion couldn't do anything about it. Religion doesn't give in. They don't give in. Don't, don't ever mistake that. It is absolutely amazing how this story ends. It's like, we're going to have to let them go. Peter and John even tell them, you do what you need to do, but you know, you judge whether or not we should stop speaking about the things of God because we're going to continue to do it. And they go on. And religion is just standing there. What do we do? Because they have to bow to the truth of God. They don't like it. But they couldn't deny it. Folks, let me share this with you as we close. Religion doesn't answer the need of man, does it? Only Christ can. Only Christ can answer that. Wouldn't it be great to have the boldness of Peter and John? Huh? Wouldn't it be? You're sitting there in that circle, and people are, are that's, that's even bring it down anymore. The person comes to your door, and you're not even in the circle. And you have the boldness of Peter and John to share with them the truth of God's word. Wouldn't it be great to do that? Help us to internalize the fact that religion, realize the fact that religion won't get us to God. Do you know that should lead us to ask ourselves this? Are we, are, or maybe you're here to, tonight and, and, uh, and myself included, are, are, we, are we doing things in the hopes that it will put us in a better standing with God? Think about that just for a second. Are we doing things that, good things, nice things, loving things, just in the very back of our minds, hoping that will give us a little better standing with God, that he'll look over maybe some of our sins and just maybe, just maybe, make an exception for us because of our activities or because of our works. Just maybe. Now, I know I've heard it a thousand times that's not how God works, but just maybe this one time. Do you ever think like that? Are we following the ways of religion? Or do we have a true authentic, personal relationship with the one true God and not a substitute. That's what we need to be sure of. Amen? Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Father, thank you. Father, I'm so grateful for your word. I'm so thankful that we have this illustration in Scripture of Peter and John and their boldness of the gospel. Help us, Father, not to be intimidated by religion, but help us, Father, to be a good bold witness like Peter and John when we encounter those with religious tendency. Father, I pray that you'll put that on our hearts in Christ's name. Amen.